I'm Pete Hammond. And I'm Dominic Pat. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we'll be discussing the sh- some shows that have been recently cancelled and some that are new this year, along with some of the contenders for Best Actors in a Drama Series. Plus, you'll also hear some interviews, as you do often, from our annual Deadline Emmys Contenders event with the cast and creators of both The Handmaid's Tale and One Mississippi. But before we get into One Mississippi or Two Mississippi or Three Mississippi, <laughs> we might just think of what the countdown is for people who got pink slipped this year by the networks and streamers. Well, there's a lot of them, uh, canceled shows. I was sorry to see American Crime go down. I mean, that was a prestige uh, show for ABC, gets Emmy nominations, wins uh, some Emmys and things, and it was a very strong show. It didn't feel like a network show. It felt it, like a cable show. It also didn't feel like anybody was watching it. And that's the, the problem. problem is it had Its ratings were very low and always remained low. Even as it won more awards, it still remained low. Look. John Ridley is an incredibly talented man. I mean, an Oscar winner and has, is, is, you know, moved into documentaries this year with a documentary about the L.A. riots. Obviously had Gorilla on Showtime, has um, working on many different things, including something for Marvel, we hear, and other things. And American Crime was a real tour de force. In fact, I yeah. think this third season was some really, really great TV. Yeah. But it just, as always, as always... The economics don't work. You don't stay on TV. That's why it's show business, not show friends. Well, I, I compare it to the difference between indie filmmaking and what the major studios are putting out, essentially the six major studios, the tentpole thing. And they don't really know how to market those smaller films. Occasionally one comes along. They don't know how to do what the indies know how to do. I'd say that's the same as the major networks and the cablers. And American Crime would have done better, I think, uh, if it was on an HBO or somewhere else. Uh, FX even, you know, something else that would understand what it's trying to do and know how to market it better to the audience. Because what what did, what preceded it? What was its lead in? You know exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, this is this is I think a, you know we can go through a list of shows that have been canceled, and there there's some that have been canceled. Yeah, like Two Broke Girls on CBS, which was you know expected but somewhat yeah. surprising, as CBS often keeps their own babies alive. You know, Scream Queens on Fox. It was pretty clear that Ryan Murphy had in many ways moved on from that, and that show had kind of exhausted itself. But there were others like you know Grimm and The Vampire Diaries and others that just yeah. simply they were over. Those stories were over. And they were meant they, they knew they were over the get down on Netflix was, you know, Baz just simply wasn't going to come back. The right. the finances were, were huge on that. Yeah. And I don't think the payout or payoff was that great for Netflix. It didn't mm-hmm. get I mean, I like the show a lot. But listen, yeah. I'm a kid who grew up in New York in the, in the early days of hip hop and that that's like that, that to me is a pseudo documentary. Yeah, but it, it didn't resonate with the larger audience. No, it didn't. And I think if you don't have Baz Luhrmann involved, you don't have that name behind it. It's sort of like what happens on some of these uh, these regular shows, you know, where different people come in and that's fine. You can do that with a procedural or something, but with something that needs a Baz Luhrmann behind it, why does Netflix need to continue doing it with someone else who's just going to come in? It was his signature to it. And so I wasn't surprised at all to see that they canceled that if he can't do it. Well, also too, it was very interesting with the get down. It was, it was such a, was such an an odd launch. There were six episodes done and then there was this like, yeah, but that's only the first half of our first season. And then we're bringing in more episodes but then those episodes were then that was five and then one was longer and then this and that it felt like they were always trying to figure out what the show was i don't know how much to see of the second half of season one or, or what any normal person would call season two that <laughs> debuted last uh, in April yeah. would, would call it. But, you know, there was all of a sudden the introduction of a lot of animation, right. which on one level was rather charming. It was yeah. like watching like Fat Albert and stuff from the 70s. Yeah. But on another level, you yeah. went, oh, 
They didn't have the money to right. do a big scene of them running down this like <laughs> the part of the Bronx like that. Yeah. So they got some animation. I think it, it just was, started uh, feeling like it's still yeah. trying to find itself. Yeah. And at a certain point, like yeah. an, like any of us in therapy, if yeah. you have not found yourself at a certain point, yeah. you're not going to. Yeah, I think it was more ambitious than what they could deliver. Now, what about some of the shows that are coming out, though? I mean, you know, again, this year, like we see on the big screen, a lot of reboots, a lot of revivals. But yeah. there's a couple that are particularly interesting, I think. We'll leave American Idol because what that is is still completely unknown, except that Katy Perry is somehow involved and they will be singing. And getting paid like $24 million. I mean, some astronomical figure to sit there and say, gee, I really like you all. Because, you know, when they put the pop singers on like her, they're afraid to criticize uh, these young singers and destroy their dreams. I've seen that with other judges on that show. So to pay her this kind of money, and I think that might be pissing off Ryan Seacrest, who's in negotiations, and, and they're not paying him that level well, of money. And also, too, you know, honestly, the thing that made Idol work back in the day, yeah. besides the fact it kind of, you know, back in the in the early 2000s, it, it really introduced something that wasn't that common and now is everywhere with reality TV is was Simon Cowell. Right. Like the fact of the matter is we all know that you're excited. We all know yeah. we want to put in a team <laughs> effort. We all know yeah. that it's all about about trying. It's all about yeah. doing this. Ultimately, no one ever stands up and says, you know what? I'm greedy and I'm ambitious and I'm neurotic and this is why I do this. Simon Cowell stood up and I yeah. actually thought, yeah. I never thought he was that mean to be honest. No, I actually, he wasn't. I just thought he was kind of he doesn't think gently so either. prodding. Yeah. <laughs> he, he just sort of said to people, guess what? Yeah. You're yeah. not the greatest thing since sliced bread and yeah. maybe you should drive a truck and not try right. to sing a song. But he came from the record business as an executive and so he had a different take but when you brought on a person like Ellen DeGeneres who was afraid to say anything bad about anybody you know it doesn't work you do need somebody like him and you know I mean it that show after he left it really missed him That's yeah no I mean question. you know and just you know you know, you see shows, you'll, you'll see, you bring back a show like American Idol, but then you have a show like WGN America's uh, Underground, which is such a strong show, which has now been canceled. And we yeah. all kind of knew it was, there was something going on there yeah. because WGN America have made a transformation in the way that they're, they're dealing with, with their original shows. They already got rid of a few of them. And then, and then this one just kind of floated out there. And as our colleague Nelly Andreva wrote recently, you know, there was attempts to get it on BET and other places, but that just got, it got axed. You know, I, I, hopefully that's a great show that I hope finds a new home. Okay, now I want to know about new shows. I want to know about Law and Order, True Crime, the Menendez murders. We're having a, a show about the Menendez brothers. When is the Charles Manson series? Starting? Actually, it was called Aquarius. It was on NBC. <laughs> David, Dugan. I mean, no, but I mean that's the thing is it's a rhetorical question. You know, when we talk about revivals and reboots, you know, you see what I consider, and I'll, I'll, I'll harp on about it a little bit because I really like the show. You see original shows like Underground that talk yeah. about a part of American history that basically many of us know very little about besides. The the words Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Um, and and you, you see a show like that and, and how you bring it and you turn they they turn that, uh, you know, Misha and Joe, the executive producers and, and, and showrunners behind it, turned that show with Anthony Hemingway directing a number of episodes, really turned it to an action show, but also a sociopolitical show. It was a romance. It was it was all the elements for good TV. And it did really well for WG in America, which are really trying to get their foot in the door until they decided they wanted a different door. You have shows like that. And then you have people doing like, look, I know it was seminal in its time, but really does the world really even want Will and Grace to come yes. back? Yes. 
I want Will and Grace to come back, Dom. I want them to come back. I thought that show was so funny, and I thought what they did during the election, that 10-minute thing that was uh, out during the election, was hilarious, and I realized how much I missed them. I, I think they're very talented people, and they need to work together. They've gone off and done individual projects. They need to come back together. I'm very excited about Will and Grace. I'm very excited about Roseanne. Perfect time for Roseanne to come back with the whole cast, John you, Goodman. You, you love the 90s. You love the 90s. I say bring them all back. Bring exactly. them all back, man. Exactly. You know, I'd rather watch that stuff than the Menendez brothers every week. Would you, you be, would, you be <laughs> would you be? even though it might be too soon for some, but then again, American Idol was just a little while ago and that's coming back. Yep. What do you think? Time for CSI? Return? I have not seen CSI, CSI anything. Nevada? NCI. Why, why don't we do NCIS, CIA, and CIA? Yeah, I don't really care. Acronym. Oh, the series. Yeah, just whatever. Um, you know, that's for a certain kind of viewer, mostly on CBS, mostly older, and, uh, you know, they're not the hipster uh, TV watchers uh, that I clearly am. And I, I don't watch those shows. And I know Tom Selleck's got a whole new career with Blue Blood. I, I, An awesome career. Yes. Amazing. An awesome career with Blue Blood. Amazing. Do not mess with Blue Blood. You know. on this podcast. And Blue you know, CBS, CBS in a regal was, position on this podcast. Les Moonves, we have to move on, but Les Moonves was We're never moving on beyond how good Blue Bloods is. Yes, I know it's great. Uh, Le, I've never seen it. Le, Les, Les Moonves was criticizing the idea of uh, Roseanne coming back, saying it's a gimmick. What is on Friday night's preceding Blue Buds? Bloods, Hawaii Five O, And like, MacGyver. You know, and MacGyver before that, my God, what, does he, what arrogance. Okay, I, okay, uh, okay. For one, I mean, Leslie is his own unique being in the universe. He is, so and I like that. him, actually. But, but I, I do, let, let's, but, be, yeah. let's be clear. Nobody can sell like Les Moonves. No, he's and, amazing. And, and, that, and that's what works out. And to speak no. of that, I mean, we, we will move on and talk about anything, but there's there's a, a bunch of other new series, The Gifted, which is a Marvel series, uh, Mutants on the Run, essentially, and many others. But the one that I think a lot of people are interested in, a new series that's going to come up, and partially it's because of the nature of it, its legacy, but also where it's going to be, is Star Trek Discovery. Now, Brian Fuller was originally involved in this, but he moved on, essentially. This is going to be on CBS All Access. It's a whole new Star Trek. In a sense, it's a prequel to the original Star Trek. Uh, I think it takes place approximately a decade earlier or what have you. Be very interesting to see after the good fight was the kind of the original, original programming that CBS put as the right. lost leader to get you into All Access if this is the one that brings the subscribers to their streaming service. Well, Star Trek will bring subscribers. When you stick the name Star Trek on anything, you will get subscribers if that's the only way they can see it. Absolutely right. going to happen. Well, then we should rename our podcast Star Trek TV Talk. I think so. Okay. I think that's a good idea. With that, let us move on. This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar. From Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television for OWN. Variety says that Queen Sugar is visually stunning. Essence raves that it is gorgeous in its honesty, and TV Guide magazine calls it powerful. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Now, before we go forward with the show, let's take you a little bit back in time, specifically to April when we had our Deadline Contenders Emmys event at the DGA Theater in Hollywood. We had a day full of events, as we've told you guys many times before, and we're going to tell you again. Two panels in particular stuck out for us that we wanted to talk about this week. One was The Handmaid's Tale, and where our colleague Michael Osiello from TV Line talked to star Elizabeth Moss and the creators of the hit Hulu show based on Margaret Atwood's acclaimed dystopian novel about how they go to work each day when you have to deal with material that's just so... Well, just so dark. Any trepidation about um, 
joining like a project that's dark like this and the material is so heavy? Because I imagine it has to be tough some days to you know, play out these scenes. No, I love that shit. So for me, like, <laughs> as Bruce knows and Warren too, I'm always like, more, more, more. I love, I, I, it's my bread and butter. It's what I enjoyed the most doing. I get really bored doing things where I'm too happy. The production values, the look of it is just incredible. Like, And how does that impact your acting when, when the environment feels so authentic? It's incredibly helpful, obviously. I mean, the first thing you look for is great writing and good material, and that's what we had. And then everybody just pieced together with the directors and our DP and our cast and production designer, and everybody just came together and kind of gave some of their best work, you know, and really everyone pushed themselves to elevate their own work. And it's a wonderful environment when you can not have to worry about anybody else's job and you can do your own. What was it about this project that you felt like it lent itself to a, a series versus just a movie? Well, it's such a wide world. And in the book, one of the things that I think frustrated me as a reader, and I read it a bunch of times over the years and certainly has frustrated other people, is the fact that it's limited, that you hear about things, there's a sentence about something, that opens up a huge other world that would be really interesting, but in the book, because the book is so constricted in Alfred's point of view, you don't ever get to see any of that. She tells you a little bit about it. So we were able to take one sentence out of the book and turn it into an episode. We could take one sentence and turn it into three seasons. There's some amazing worlds that are only mentioned. And the same thing about the ending of the book. The ending of the book is the cause of great consternation among high schoolers everywhere. <laughs> and uh, we get the chance to kind of go beyond that and tell what, ha what happens after that um, in season two. And Margaret um, has been incredibly enthusiastic about all the exploration we've done of you know, taking little things that she's mentioned and bringing them to life and fleshing them out. She, she's been 100% on board, which makes me feel more comfortable like I'm not messing up too badly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a dark show, but there are glimpses, flashes of humor, usually from Offred's point of, point of view. We had talked earlier, you mentioned that we're gonna see more of that as the series progresses. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, um, for those of you who never read the book, it's, it's, it's all voiceover. The whole book is, is the recounting of the experience by this character, Offred, who, who was June in her old life. And the, the voice in her head is June, and then she has to play Offred on the outside. But June is a lot more plucky and uh, you know, sees the absurdity of the situation a lot better than, than Offred's able to betray with her face. And so you really, in a strange way, there's the show at its best is like this far from being a very strange comedy. <laughs> you know, in essence, Lizzie is playing two characters, right? It's the voice of June. Um, and that has a completely different experience than Offred in the world of Gilead. Um, and both voices are really important in order to have the full experience of this journey. We shoot in Toronto, and um, all the talent kind of, they leave home. They leave a lot of their lives behind and, and go off on this voyage to go into a world that's a very different world um, that as we know, um, with the rise of the alt-right, um, became more relevant than we ever anticipated. And, and everyone goes on this journey together, and I feel like there's this bond that happens because we're all in another country, and we're trying to bring this world to life. And um, it's very uniting for us, um, and, uh, and I think a lot of our great work happened 
because of that voyage that we took together. Another panel we had at the Deadline Contenders Emmys event was One Mississippi, where star and beloved comedian Tignataro, who often takes the darkest of material and turns it into hilariously funny, insightful material, talked about how she took this show, which was based in a lot of ways on her own experience of losing a parent. She discussed with me about how that's a universal story that translated into the small screen for this Amazon series. What was the inspiration for One Mississippi? And... Did it end up being what you thought it was going to be? I mean, the inspiration <laughs> was having three deadly illnesses at one time while my mother died, while I went through a breakup. And so when I was in the middle of those four months, I didn't really know what else to think about or talk about or joke about. So this only made sense to try and write a show about it. A lot of people have talked about uh, watching season one, and, and obviously, I guess one would say the universal story of, of, of death and, uh -huh. and loss of a parent, and incredibly moved by it. You know, I mean, I, I've, I found in a lot of ways there were many similarities that I related to in the death of my own mother a few years ago. And I wanted to get from you an idea of how, what's been the reaction that you have had to that element of the show? So many people, yeah can connect in so many different ways. And the, what, what I found so fascinating about having this show is the feedback of what makes people laugh and cry in those... Sometimes moments. at the same time. Yeah, and there's the obvious things that make people laugh and cry, but then there's moments where it shocks me that somebody comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, the moment you got in the hospital bed with your mother when she was dying and you still had your shoes on destroyed me. And I'm, I, I love that though, where it, it just touches people in not so obvious ways, in not so obvious moments. What was that process like of casting someone to play your stepfather and the magnificence that you ended up with? When John Rothman came in, he was so stoic and heartbreaking and funny because he was there was nothing he was pushing at all. And as soon as he walked in, I, I, I was like, Father? I used to always say to my mother, my stepfather, is it worse that I said it or that it happened? So I luckily haven't been um, uh, edited by my family. And my stepfather, he just, he thinks John Rothman is so great. And he understands that this, it's really not a documentary, and... Um, and Watch this past episode one. <laughs> yes. He, he binged it, and he wrote me this long letter of, about how beautiful he thought that the show was. This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar. From Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television for OWN. Variety says that Queen Sugar is visually stunning. Essence raves that it is gorgeous in its honesty, and TV Guide magazine calls it powerful. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. All right, now we're going to talk. we got a new topic here. Best Actress in a Drama Series. Uh, now, uh, let me remind you, last year's nominees, uh, Taraji P. Henson, Claire Danes, Robin Wright, Viola Davis, 
uh, Carrie Russell and uh, Tatiana Maslany, who actually won the award finally, uh, pleasing every critic in the world, I think, because she was so overlooked for a few years. Uh, she's not eligible this year. Uh, no, the Orphan show, Black is not coming back until June 10th. So, so it misses the uh, cutoff for Emmy. So we're going to have a new winner this year. The year before Tatiana won was Viola Davis for How to Get Away with Murder. And we've had past winners here like Claire Danes as well, uh, who, who will be in the mix. So uh, Claire Danes, in fact, has been nominated pretty much every year. Uh, Homeland's been on the air, too. So she's probably a slam dunk to come back. Robin Wright, you know, is a wonderful actress and really has deserved this award. Hasn't gotten it Queen on of House America. of Cards. Queen of America. Yep. House of Cards, new season, season yes. five. If you yes. haven't seen it, I'm not giving it away. I'm All just right. going to say the words Queen of well, America. Well, I think it might be her time if they can if they can pull that off. I, I, think, yeah. I think this is going to be ultimately a race between A Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. And Carrie Coon for the leftovers or Fargo. I mean, here's the interesting Carrie's in this unique position is yeah. she's she's the lead actress in two series yeah. where she is definitely a contender. Has that ever happened where someone's run against themselves? Well, they, she doesn't have to because she's not in the category for Fargo here. This is a Fargo's a mini series. Well, uh, not a mini series, it's an anthology. An anthology, but it's in the limited series category. Okay, so she wouldn't could so. she could but therefore technically she could be running she in the two have categories two nominations. Shows. She could be nominated. Has that ever happened? Uh yeah, I'm sure it has, but um I'm really surprised you don't know off the top of your head. I, you know, I'd have to think about it, but I'm, I would say probably that it has happened where somebody did a movie of the week that was fabulous who also has a current series. I would say that would have had to have happened. Well, I really um, hope it happens uh, for you Carrie You know, Coon. for all of our listeners out there, if you can uh, uh, look up Wikipedia very quickly and tell us the answer. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I think that Elizabeth Moss has been overlooked, 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 overlooked. No more. No more. <laughs> Handmaid's Tale. I think, no, really. Yeah. I mean, her work on Mad Men, it Brilliant. stands for itself, Brilliant. but was unrecognized. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Top of the Lake uh, yeah. achieved a lot of people's attention yes. and acclaim, but again, did not carry over the line. She's another example yeah. of somebody in a limited series and a regular series. I mean, even here, even though Top of the Lake's not this year. Yeah, not this but year. But next year, uh, likely will be a uh, show be and there'll that. definitely be more handmade sales. So yeah, we'll definitely know that. But Elizabeth Moss is also in and wonderful in the uh, film that won the Palm Door uh, over the weekend at the Cannes Film Festival. She's terrific. The and Square. She's, she's everywhere. The Square. Yeah. yeah, she plays a TV interviewer who gets sexually involved with this art um, uh, gallery um, manager. But um, but I, I definitely yeah. I definitely think that she is right now. She is the gold standard for the in this category. I mean, I it think just so. it just feels like. But wait, I, I mean, I mean, I, what about I, let, our, let me ask our you Claire this, Foy? Well, I mean, I feel like the crown is I sometimes think of the Emmys. I often think of the Emmys as being very different than the Oscars. But I do think there's another element where they get very much the same, which is yeah. if you came out like six months ago, seven months ago, you got a Golden Globe. Like, right. it just feels like you're kind of old news. Yeah. And I know there's no disrespect to the people who worked on the crown and yeah. neither to Claire. I mean, I think I think they all did very, very good jobs. But it does feel like. It does feel like the newer things glitter a little shinier, even around Emmy time. Well, they do a little bit, but I think Claire Foy uh, will have her followers here and uh, and the crown well, too, despite what BAFTA did to the crown, which was outrageous and, you know, totally distant. Well, maybe, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> the Brits aren't in as in love with the Brits as Americans are. Well, they're not as in love with Netflix as Americans oh, are. Oh, you're making it very personal. <laughs> very personal. And uh, they are in love with BBC, at least the people on that uh, committee that voted that because they all work for the BBC. But I digress. You know, I also think there are some other people who, who you mm -hmm. really need to kind of see as, you know, I mean, 
Look, I say I think it's going to be Elizabeth. That means I probably have done Elizabeth no no yeah, good by saying that, the right? Whole thing but here. I I do think uh, I do think uh, Evan Rachel Wood for Westworld. I do think Carrie Coon for Leftovers. I do think Mandy Moore. And this is what's interesting because this is a network person coming yeah. in. I think Mandy Moore's work yes. in This Is Us, yeah. which was a massive breakout show for NBC, yeah. which really packed him in. In fact, he even left Empire in the dust on on one or two occasions. I really think Mandy has a has a chance here, and also I think Mandy is. Because her character had genuine evolution over that first season. Uh, she did, and she's very good. And I do think this is a year that the networks are going to uh, find themselves back in the game, thanks to NBC and This Is Us. And I think Mandy Moore could be brought in. You didn't mention uh, Viola Davis. And again, I'm going to point out another example. She's in a TV movie or something this year, too. She could wind up with two nominations, too. She'll be in the series category as well. She's a past winner here. She's coming off that Oscar. They may be wanting to copy that and keep the Viola thing going. So I wouldn't uh, count her out of uh, coming back, especially since Tatiana is not in the ballgame. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think if Tatiana was in the ballgame, let's say Orphan Black final season, uh, let's say they released it a couple months ago, so it was was eligible— do you think that she would have been a contender? Very much. Yeah, I think uh, she's su- it's such a great role. And I think when people watch it and see all those different characters and things, um, uh, they're impressed by it. And I think the Emmy really helped her. And so the uh, TV Academy tends to vote uh, two years in a row, three years in a row for people. But here's the other thing that, that there's a wild card in that. Right. And yeah. the wild card also extends to the leftovers as well, which is I feel like the TV Academy has a real soft spot for final seasons. They have a real soft spot for swan songs. They can. Everybody loves Raymond was an example of that, and, and that, and we would see that yeah. this year because because the leftovers third final season, yeah. Um, and we're gonna see, we'll, obviously we'll see that with Orphan Black. Yeah, I don't know that the leftovers, which has only been on three years, has that kind of gravitas that it's a final season. It's our way to Dude, say goodbye. Dude, the leftovers is one of the best things that have been on television. Yeah, the past yeah I know, 20 but it's years. only three years. You know, I know, but it's yeah. it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. also on top of that too is I yeah. think that because of Carrie's role in it and because of her role in Fargo, I feel like there's all this kind of like there's a little bit of there's added grit to kind of give her something. By the way, before we go, did we mention Evan Rachel Wood in Westworld? I did. I watched three episodes, the first three episodes on the plane. Um, and I didn't want to, what a jet setter life you'd leave. I know. I watched them on the plane. I hadn't seen the show. I have to say, I liked the movie better. Uh, Westworld. Uh, this one, I'm going on a weekly basis. It's because of Yuri, right? It's because of On Yuri. a weekly basis, it got a little tired for me. Even after three episodes, I'm going like, where are they going? I already know the concept of Westworld and everything when Yoel Brenner did it and all the stuff. You know, and here, it seems like it dragged for me. I don't know how you how you continue this show over and over and over again. I wanted them to get to the, to the good stuff right away. And, Which and is it, what I hear many people say of you and I, my friend. <laughs> so, on that note... Okay. Thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. You can find me at Deadline Dominic. Yes. On Twitter. There you go. And and you can find me uh, at Deadline Pete. And, of course, you can find all our Emmy breaking news coverage as well as all the breaking news in Hollywood at Deadline.com. Today's show was produced and edited by David Genove and Andrew Merrill. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week.